Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, December 21st. Work at simplifying your view of life. Seek the simple unity between life's endlessly bewildering complexity. Complexity, whether in work or in relationships, only creates more complexity. To be divinely childlike means to discover perfect oneness in God's bliss. I was in India, it it doesn't really matter where, but as it happened, I was in India visiting Swamiji when he was living in uh, Gurgaon, which is a adjacent city to to New Delhi. And he was giving a satsang for the ashramites. This was probably about 2005. He'd moved to India. Uh, he'd, he'd, He'd moved to India in 2003 and lived there at least a large part of the year till the end of his life in 2015. No, 2013 is when he passed. But in any case, he was giving a satsang and it was very informal, about 30 of the people who, li- who lived in the ashram who were, who were close in. And he, he just, either in answer to a question or just his own musing, he, he started talking about the fact that when we look at this world, it seems exceedingly complicated. I had just, I believe that very day I had arrived, you know, traveled from the San Francisco airport to the New Delhi airport. It's usually 24 hours of continuous travel from the time I leave my house to the time I finally walk into Swami's house or wherever I'm staying. Um, of course, a, a bewildering uh, array of changes that take place. It's a, a different day. It's a 12-hour shift in the time zone. Um, the air smells different. Everything, everything about it is different. And I've passed through Dubai or South Korea or London or somewhere on the way. Just and I have this suitcase, I'm not at home. I mean, I'm just, you can make a long list of how complicated it is. Multiply that by a hundred bazillion in just how many aspects of life there are and how complex they get. So Swamiji was talking about that and he was talking about the material world being endlessly complicated. The planet that we live on being endlessly complicated. It's natural, the mind naturally thinks well, if God created all of this, then God must be the most complicated of all because such complexity must have emerged from complexity. And so we sort of think the higher we go into the divine realms, the more fantastically um, integrated and uh, immense it is. And we also use words that relate to our sense of physical time and space. I saw one of those, is it Mel Brooks is the one who does really goofy comedy? And there was just this little sketch and it was a, a British uh, clergyman standing on one of those, in one of those cathedrals where you climb up the little spiral staircase and you're on a platform way up at the top and you're speaking over that old-fashioned way when they didn't have microphones. So that was part of the way you could be heard. Now I'm going to digress with the little Reader's Digest vignette that charmed me. 
that uh, a man was with his little daughter in one of those churches, and the preacher had climbed one of those high pulpits and was declaiming, and he was a real hellfire and brimstone preacher. So he was, you know, shouting to the congregation about, you know, repent or you'll go to hell, and it was, you know, just a really big sermon like that. Little girl is leaning closer and closer to her father, watching this guy up on this big thing, and she finally pulls on his arm and he says, she's, she says to her father, what will we do if he gets loose? <laughs> a perfect child's perception of what was happening. So anyway, I saw this Mel Brooks, and he was up there like that, and he was giving this very well-considered sermon, this, this comedy routine, this well-considered sermon with lots of big words in it, and you gradually realize that the only point that the clergyman was trying to make was to give us some concept of how big God is. God is, you know, huge, I mean, tremendously enormous, um, gigundous, perhaps, you might even say. It was just words after words that all had to do with physical size, because that's how we think about it. Now, because we live in a physical world. So Swamiji said, the, the tendency is to make God very complex and to confuse our minds. He said, the, the truth is exactly the opposite. He said, because what we're doing is we, we emanate from one spirit, and that one spirit, Satchitananda, ever-existing, ever-conscious, ever-new bliss. That's a Sanskrit word that is actually a synonym for the word God in English. Ever-existing, ever-conscious, ever-new bliss. This is what we call God. This is the infinite, all-pervading spirit. From Satchitananda, the world is manifest. Now, this is a big theological discussion I, I'm not even qualified to talk about. Let's just say it. And it ramifies, just endlessly, endless ramifications. One thing leads to another. As we extricate ourselves from identification and involvement with all of those Um, complexities, and we come closer and closer and closer to the source, the source is single. The source is absolute stillness. The source is perfect bliss, and the the source is oneness. So instead of it becoming more and more complicated, the closer we get to the origin point, it goes exactly the opposite. The farther we get from the origin point, the more all the details look separate from each other because we're thinking only about those things as an end in themselves and we no longer remember that they all emanated from a single source. If you look at the fingers on your hand and if you, if you go to the tip of each finger with your hands, your fingers spread apart, there seems to be a great distance between all of these things. You can even travel down the length of the finger and there's just all this space but when you finally get to the origin point of the, of the fingers on the hand, you have this one place. It's exactly what we're doing when we move to the origin point of spirit. We discover not only the, the, the solitude and the singularity and the, the unity of vibration, because you see what makes this world appear so complex is that it's all vibrating at different states of consciousness. Even the rocks and the trees and the earth itself, it's all consciousness, but the what appears to be inert is vibrating, you might say, at, at such a slow rate that it appears not to have life force, but everything is manifested from the divine. 
So there's nothing in creation that is truly outside divinity. It's just vibrating at all these different rates. And all those vibratory rates, which all represent um, states of consciousness from the stillness, moving states of of vibratory consciousness from the absolute stillness of one. So the closer and closer we come back to to the, the origin point within our own hearts, everything suddenly becomes simpler and simpler. It's all the manifestation of the divine. All these seemingly, all these individuals around me who all have this appearance of being separate from me and different from me and having other realities and other, other wants and dislikes and all of that, why, we're all just manifestations of the Spirit trying to get home. We're all just um, beings seeking our fulfillment. We all have the desire for the same thing. All of us want to avoid suffering and find happiness. When Master came to America, he wrote a simple little book. He called it well, he didn't write it, actually. He gave, one of his disciples wrote it for him. It was called Science of Religion. And it was actually the, the premise upon which all of Master's work was based. Later, Swamiji wrote that book again, since it had not been written by Master, and he called it God is for Everyone. But the point of it was this. All sentient beings are seeking to avoid suffering and to find happiness. And the enormous complexity of people's tastes and inclinations and desires and karmic involvements, it's all laid upon something so simple, which is we wish to desire to avoid suffering and to find happiness. Now, what we think will make us happy, even what we define as suffering, is very, very different one from another. So if we live on the periphery, it's very confusing. If we live deeply in the center of ourselves and see, once understanding of the world is entirely dependent on self-understanding. When we have gaps in our own understanding of our own motivations, we'll have gaps in understanding others. You know, it's years ago at Ananda, in 1976, a long time ago, a forest fire struck our rural community, Ananda Village, which was the only Ananda we had at that time. And half our acreage was, was burned. And all of, that, all of the houses, which were 21 at that time, that were in the main community area, there were two other areas, our retreat and our monastery, which weren't touched, but where all the families lived in what we really called our community, all of the houses burned, except for one, and a month later, a big tree fell on that one. <laughs> it was just like, oh, I missed one. And God went back and, and just crushed only half of it, but he crushed half of it with a big oak. But um, uh, when that fire came through, it was devastating to us. I mean, we were less than 10 years old, and it had been a tremendous effort to bring the community to that level and losing so much. I mean, we could easily have gone bankrupt and just not been able to continue. We didn't but we could have. And then it turned out that a a faulty county vehicle had caused the fire. That a a truck was, a county truck, without what they call a spark arrestor. Uh, the, the, The spark arrestor wasn't there. It had been seven years of drought in California. The truck threw out a spark and in light, uh, lit, uh, lit the brush, lit the brush on, at the base of a hill. 
the wind was blowing uphill, and the wind just took that fire right up the hill and right across our land and across the land of a number of our neighbors. When it was found out that that um, the county was responsible and we could sue the county, you know, there was a, a tremendous desire to get Ananda um, into that. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pausing for a second because why am I telling you all of this? For the moment, at the moment, I can't remember why. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'll just finish the story. Oh, I know what it was now. I've got it back. Um, but, but we chose not to sue. And as Swami put it, we belong to this county. We're not, he didn't use the word karma. We took out an ad in the local paper and explained it. We're just not going to. We don't feel like our hard luck is the responsibility of our neighbors to fill in for us. Because, you know, somebody pays. It's not like there's no such thing as free money. It, it, the expense of the settlement to us. And, I mean, the county didn't do it on purpose. It's just, it just wasn't, it wasn't a world we, we chose to enter into. So we simply didn't do it. Even though we could have gotten a huge amount of money, which we could have used at the time. But many people in the county assumed that we had made a backroom deal because they literally could not conceive of someone not taking free money like that when free money was offered. They just couldn't imagine that we were acting from a principle that we thought was more important, which was to accept our karma as our own karma and not feel that someone else was responsible. I mean, that, as I said, the county didn't do it on purpose. But people could not imagine that that even such a state of consciousness would exist. And this is what I was saying. All lack of understanding is lack of self-understanding. People inside themselves did not have the understanding, the ones many, that principle was more important than profit. And so they just assumed we'd gotten a different kind of profit. Somehow, somewhere, we were being given something that was more valuable to us or even being paid under the table. Who knows what they thought? So we find ourselves confused. We don't understand other people because we're limited by our own understanding. But the more our self-understanding moves into the origin point, not only of our own consciousness and our own life, but of all life, then, as Swami says, we find the simple unifying principle. And suddenly, everything is easy to understand, even no matter who you're dealing with. You can be dealing with the Queen of England, Queen of England is not fundamentally different than your Uncle Bob. You know, we're just all manifestations of the same spirit. And once we stand in that reality, it's, it's literally like picking the puppet up from the right string. And where it was all complex and confusing, suddenly it all falls into order and we know exactly what it is that we're trying to do. So that's what Swami suggests here. He says, work at simplifying your view of life. Seek the simple unity behind life's endless, bewildering complexity. Complexity, whether in work or in relationships, only creates more complexity. To be divinely childlike means to discover perfect oneness in God's bliss. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.